Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. I'm really excited. I think I say that every time, but I truly am really excited every time I get to interview someone. So I've got Michael Erdley and Catherine Erdley, who was Catherine Devendorf, has her, her uh, maiden name. And I knew Michael from the show, but only from afar, because you were always, you know, lifted up high with the beautiful lights on you, was surrounded Perfect by beautiful downstairs. girls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I mean, I knew you as the, like the male singer principal lead of the show and uh, your amazing, amazing voice. And then I think at the reunion, finding out that you guys met in the show, were married, and have seen you on a couple interviews. Like the, we were saying, there's a Reno one Gazette did the story about entertainers from the show that stayed on longer. So I love the stories of how people meet in the show and stay together. Those stories are fun. If they don't stay together, I guess that's also a good story. Um, but yeah, just have two entertainers find each other in such a wonderful way, and and uh, the stories that come out of that. So would you just say hello and tell us where you are at this moment, what part of the world, and that's, we'll start so there. Hello, everyone. This is Mike. Hi, Catherine's here. And we are in, as Les used to refer to it, Les Stevens, my counterpart, singer in the show, uh, bright, fast Reno, Nevada. <laughs> Uh, but it's really grown since the show is closed, so it might be bright and fast now. He might have just been a fortune teller, or a, uh -huh. you know. Well, when I went for the reunion, it was interesting how much it had changed because I was there in 1980, and it's interesting talking to so many people from the cast that stayed on. There's so many hello Hollywood hello people in Reno, and we can talk about that a little bit later. What that's actually done for the for the city. Um, and what you're doing now, we'll get to that eventually. But let's let's start with each of you, like where you grew up and what your aspirations were. Was something like this ever on your horizon? Like I'm going to be in a giant show, surrounded by feathers, and be the star. <laughs> well, I, uh, I I grew up in upstate New York, and my mom had a dance studio, so I grew up in the dance studio. Uh, but um, being five foot ten. I was, I dwarfed everyone. I dwarfed my mom. She was only five foot, go figure. Oh, wow. I dwarfed everybody in my dance studio. I dwarfed everybody at dance conventions. Um, we would spend our summers in New York City taking master classes. And um, I was very tall there. And, you know, the Rockettes were known for being very tall. So I went to audition and they put me up against the wall where they had a yardstick, you know, for your height. And I couldn't even audition because I was too tall. You were too tall for Rockettes. I was too tall. So um, fortunately, one of the teachers that was teaching master classes said, you know, out west they have shows where they have to, you have to be tall. You should look into that. And I kind of thought, yeah, okay. You know, I mean, I was in high school at the time. I continued on. I went um, to Ohio State for my degree in um Bachelor of Science in Education, but through their dance program, because that was back in the day when they would lump dance into physical education. So um, when I was there in their dance program, very modern, um, and again, I was an Amazon woman in this modern dance program, um, a girl came that had graduated from the program that was in Hello Hollywood, Amy Peterson. And she came and she talked to our choreography class. And I thought, oh my gosh, someone my height. This is so exciting. <laughs> and uh, and she, everybody was like, oh gosh, how could you do this for your art? You know, how could you go and do a commercial show? And she, she just flat out said, don't you tell me about starving for your art. She said, I am working with the greatest performers, well-trained performers in the entire world. I'm being paid and I have my days free to set my work on these incredible artists. Oh, good thought, for her. Wow, I really like this woman. So I called her and she said, come out, stay on my floor, audition. And it was my junior year of college and I thought, you know, if I leave, I'll never go back. 
And so I, um, I stayed, I got my degree at Ohio State. My brother was at the War College, Naval War College in Monterey. So after I graduated, I went out to visit him and he said, well, let's drive to Reno. Drove to Reno. I called backstage for Amy Peterson. Um, she had left the show, but um, I, I think it was Adrian said, do you want to audition, darling? And I had like my aerobics clothes, you know, <laughs> the lycra and the, you know, that whole thing. And I said, well, okay. And I went backstage. I think they needed, you know, it was a great time. And uh, I went backstage, Linda, um, I'm trying to think of her last, Ennis taught me the, the blue sleeves opening. And then Jillian came out and I remember Jillian had just painted her nails. So she um, held her hands up to look at her fingernails and kept glancing at her fingernails and glancing up at me as I was doing the opening for Bluebells. Oh my gosh, I love this. I love this. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, afterwards, she just said, you know, uh, okay, um, are you willing to move here? Are you willing to take the job? And, and that's how I ended up in the show. Was there any having to weigh this out or were you like, I'm ready to go? Um, it, it was between taking this job out here or I had been offered a teaching job in a performing arts high school back in Virginia. And I, I honestly felt like, how can I teach the next generation of dancers to dance professionally if I haven't had the experience myself? And so honestly, I thought I'd do one year and then I would go back east and um, teach in a performing arts high school. But then I met Michael and, you know, here we are, <laughs> still in Reno, Nevada. One of the uh, current dancers in the waiting to be Lido show was, she described it as being a giraffe who finally found her family. Cause she's just like being tall because I feel like what it can do for your insecurity, if you're, you're always in the back or if you get to, you never get to partner or the fact that you hung in there, I always think is amazing to hear these stories where a lot of people are told you don't have the right ballet body. You don't have turnout and they just stop dancing because there's, there doesn't seem to be a path, but when tall girls hang in there and instead of being the anomaly, you get to be the glorified, like long-legged thing. It's like, yes, we finally are not the odd one. How did that feel when you, when you see that there's a sea of really tall, well-trained dancers that you're going to be a part of? It, 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 it makes you feel like, okay, um, this was all worth it. And that instinct that you had inside that little voice, mm. um, you, you finally go, okay, I've got to trust that little voice. And I remember at Ohio State, again, modern dancers traditionally at that time in the um, early 80s were, were smaller, obviously, than, than what bluebells are. And we had a choreographer come out, Buzz Miller. And, um, you know, just just the toast of Broadway, a Jack Cole protege. This man was, you know, just um, when it came to Broadway, he was in his day, you know, just just um, an elite. And he was hired to come and put choreography on these modern dancers um, so that they would have a different experience, you know, typical education. Let's see if we can make them well-rounded, which I really appreciate. And I was thrilled because I was thinking, oh my gosh, this weight and into the floor and, you know, I got to get this five foot 10 frame down and up, right. you know, where everybody that's five foot can do it you know, yeah. so much quicker. Um, and he came in and he put a Broadway piece on all of us and uh, he kept calling me Big Catherine, Big Catherine in the back, Big oh. Catherine, you got to move over here. Big Cat. I mean, it was hilarious. It was to the <laughs> I think everybody was uncomfortable with it. Um, and I guess, um, I, I guess I should have gone into my shell, but fortunately we had someone that came into my life like Amy Peterson that yeah. said, don't tell me about starving for your art. And I thought, there we go. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause we need those voices. We, there's a lot of sh that's shown up in the interview of somebody being told like, you're too tall or you're not good enough or you'll never make it. And there's usually somebody that says, you're great, go for it. Or here's an avenue because I think so many people just get that no and they're done. So yeah. Yeah. good for you for hanging in there. And I know when you were talking about like selling out too, because I've talked to a few people that came from the ballet world are very strict. And so to say you're going to be a bluebell dancer 
in America is different than in Europe where she was more esteemed or here it's like, oh, you're selling out or you're not a real dancer. And then you get there and find out like, oh my gosh, the quality and the caliber of these dancers is unreal. And so I think it, it, to have to justify it is hard in the United States, especially if they know there's topless, but to try to explain what it is, that's part of doing this podcast too, because I love hearing the stories of like beautiful trained dancers that were rejected other places have this, this place. And I remember the, I think I say this a lot, but the best classes I've taken in dance were in Reno and Vegas, because all these people from around the world are coming in and sharing. And we got, we got the best of everything. It wasn't like we stake at one studio and you got seven teachers. You had like this whole plethora of talent that were always inspiring and lifting up and teaching. I just think that the best education they had was once I was professional, which is interesting. I agree. agree. Yeah. Wow. Good for you, Michael. You are not a dancer. I'm assuming you had to do some dance to do that show, but what was your upbringing and training? Dancing for a singer is learning how to walk in time with the music. Uh, (laughs) That's about the extent of my dance prowess. Uh, Yeah, it was a a real stretch for me coming into the world of dancers. Um, I felt a little bit like Dorothy waking up in Oz, you know. Uh, This was not Kansas anymore. Certainly not LA anymore. Is that where, did you grow up in LA? Yeah, I grew up in LA. Well, South Los Angeles, uh, Torrance area. And, you know, I was a beach kid. I, I grew up at the beach and the arts were not a big part of my life until high school. Um, and I found that uh, there was this new phenomena with the Beatle invasion and uh, every kid in America deciding that they could be in a band. Uh, I had taken my obligatory piano lessons as a kid. So I found that, hey, I can I can do music. So I got a, an electric keyboard and signed up with a band and we started doing the the circuit of the dance dance world. Uh, social dancing, you know, playing really? rock and roll for for condominium get togethers and so forth. Oh my gosh, I love that. And that just led to just sort of one thing after another, uh, opening up a a musical career for me. Uh, When it came time to try to stay out of Vietnam, I signed up for a music course at college. I needed two more units to stay out of Vietnam. So I looked through the catalog and saw a voice class. I said, well, that'll be easy. I just get together and sing with everybody. Oh my gosh. Well, it was a rude awakening that uh, this was a solo singing class. And uh, just about the time that I was called on to go up in front of the class and sing, I was heading for the back door. Uh, And the teacher said, you, where are you going? I said, well, I'm not sure I am in the right class. She says, no, no, get up there and sing something for me. And so I looked through the songbook and I said, okay, how about the Star Spangled Banner? And she says, why don't you start with America the Beautiful? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That was my uh, first uh, approach to looking at at the musical world sort of seriously. And I owe an awful lot to that particular professor because she saw some talent immediately and she says, I think you've got a voice. And uh, she kind of took me, she was very strong-willed, and she took me aside and said, you're going to do this. And she paved my road into studying music more seriously, getting me a scholarship to USC, went through the classical singing program at USC, um, and just about the time I was getting out of USC with a degree in classical voice performance, uh, I discovered musical theater. And their last ditch effort, they wanted me to have a classical singing career and I just knew I wasn't meant to be singing in a foreign language. Mm. Um, I loved acting, I loved being um, 
more of an actor than than a singer and uh, so lyric has always been hugely important to me and I just knew I wasn't going to do German lyric any justice because I didn't speak the language fluently. So their last ditch effort was to get me an apprenticeship to a, a famous place on the East Coast called the Tanglewood Festival. Uh, that uh, is sort of the summer home for the, the Boston Symphony and a real training ground for young classical professional, professionals. And they tried to get me to take this apprenticeship there and I turned it down to take a, an apprenticeship at the Los Angeles Civic Light Opera. And wow. that kind of sent me in the direction of musical theater and more contemporary popular music. It's so interesting because I can still hear your voice. I also been watching, sorry about the dog, watching the video of Hello Hollywood. Like you have an amazing voice and it's so interesting to think if someone hadn't encouraged that out of you, how many people have these voices that no one gets to hear? Like what a privilege to have you as the lead in the show and to know unless someone had said, hey, you've got something here because I'm sure with training it gets better, but you've got to have something amazing to start with. So I'm just in awe of, everybody's story that just has that one thing that says you can do it or you have something and people maybe don't even know. Wow. So oh. what did you do after that? Well, I bumped around Hollywood for a while, taking every audition I could get my hands on until uh, somebody I met through the Los Angeles Civic Light Opera uh, said, you know, you've got this huge debt from, from school uh, why don't you think about making some money fast? And I said, tell me where. <laughs> Selling drugs. Okay. Yeah, really. <laughs> so they, they introduced me to one of the guys that was uh, singing, one of the, the chorus singers in Jubilee. Uh, Hallelujah, Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, that was the predecessor of Hello, Hollywood. It was Don Arden's first big show in, at an MGM in Las Vegas. And so uh, this fellow was very kind. He says, you know, we're not having any, any auditions right now, but as soon as we have auditions, I'll give you a call. And I thought he was just blowing me off, but uh, in a few weeks, I actually got a call from him saying that they were having auditions and uh, I should come audition for Don Arden. I mistook what he was saying for thinking that I had a private audition with Mr. Arden. <laughs> and oh, when I man. showed up in Las Vegas, I showed up to the biggest cattle call I've ever been part of. There were literally hundreds of dancers, singers, magicians, comics, I mean, everything under the sun that were trying to get in the door because they had, behind the scenes, announced that they were opening a show in Reno, Nevada. And I went through two days of auditioning. He kept calling me back. Finally, the second day, the end of the day, he called me down to the, the desk and he says, we'd like you to come sing for us in Reno. And I said, are you offering me a contract? He says, yes, we are. And he slid a contract across the table to me. I took a look at the money and I couldn't believe it. So I signed it and handed it back to him and I said, by the way, where is Reno? <laughs> Reno, I know. It's like nobody thinks of Reno as entertainment. That's why it always blew me away. Like, leave Vegas to go to where? Oh, my gosh. Did So did you audition on that giant stage in Vegas? Because I feel like the dancers have their stories and you feel tiny. But to be a singer, is there a mic on stage or do you just have to project? What was it like as a singer audition? Cool. Yeah. And, and because we had gone through this cattle call, uh, there had been a string of people of all walks of the entertainment world, everything from old hippies with feathers in their hair to people that, <laughs> you know, thought they were on the gong show somehow. Right. <laughs> uh, and Don did not have a lot of patience. Uh, Mr. Arden was not known for his patience. Right. Uh, he, just before I got up on stage, slammed his hand, hand down on the desk in front of him and yelled into the microphone. He says, you kids have no idea how to, how to audition. I want your best eight bars and nothing but. 
And I was one of the people in the room who knew what eight bars was. So I made some edits on my music, went over and talked to the pianist. I said, okay, here's how it's gonna go. I need two bars of intro, these four bars, and then we're gonna right to the end, the big end. He knew exactly what I was talking about. Did this audition and Don stood up and he says, now that's an audition. Yay! So I had a little feather in my cap for that that experience. Yeah. What what song did you sing? Do you remember? Lucky to be me from On the Town. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. So I've heard the dance stories. I've not heard a singer's audition story yet. So I'm just thinking when you see bad dancing in a cattle call, you kind of, as you're thinking about your own thing, you can kind of hide, but to be a, a singer who should not be on that stage. Cause I just know talking to Pete Menifee, like there's dancers that show up that are five foot two or they're, you know, you have to have a death wish to show up for a cattle call for dance for Don Arden. If you don't know what you're doing or assume, you know, that your size and, ability don't matter. He doesn't have the patience, but for singers, did you see things that you, that would make good SNL skit material? Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you were in the show for how long before Catherine came into the show? Let's see. We, we opened in 78 and Catherine came in 84. So, so you kind of had your stride. Halfway through the show. You what? About halfway through the run. It was halfway through. Okay, so did you? You were doing your life in Reno, like like where the heck is Reno? Now you're there. You're kind of creating a life for yourself. If you're staying on that long, it's you're not just passing through. You've kind of set your roots there. And it's a little embarrassing to say this because every time I went to leave, they kept saying, "No, no, no. What do you want? More money?" And I, you know, what are you going to say to more money? Um, at one time, this is a great bluebell story. Uh, I was feeling very creatively uh, short. I, I didn't feel like the, the, the show was filling my creative soul. Um, so I went to, to bluebell. She happened to be in town and uh, I said, can you find me another show to go to? And she looked at me, she says, Michael, I can find another show for you, but nothing like this. You would be silly to leave this. Well, she was absolutely right. Uh, and I think it, it, in talking to other performers who have had long running, I, I think I met the guy that did Daddy Warbucks and Annie uh, as they came through Reno and he, he just turned to me and says, never leave a show. You, you don't leave it until it leaves you. It's too hard to find a, a, a good job in this profession. So, but I know a lot of the other performers had that wanderlust and wanted to see the world. Uh, I, for one, love lifestyle in Reno. Uh, I like to ski. I like the great outdoors and it was a family oriented town. So, I met this girl who was family oriented. How did you meet? Uh oh, now we got trouble. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to end this. I'm leaving yeah. this meeting. You created a loop. Oh my gosh. Now the dogs go crazy. Okay, are you still on? We are. Oh, yeah. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, now we got barking yeah. dogs, we got all, all the things. Okay, so let's add that chaos to how you met. Cause like you come into the show, Catherine, you're new, you're learning your parts and rehearsing. Had, did you even, when did you even notice Michael? Did you have time to even do that when you're learning a show? And you know, when you're learning a show, you just, as you know, the stage is the largest stage you've ever seen. And there are people with um, accents and, you know, it's, it's world cast and you're trying to infiltrate yourself into this whole new world. Um, Mike and I both had Wednesday night off. Um, I was the new girl. So of course I got whatever night was left over because the show ran seven nights a week. And then I think Mike had Wednesday night because probably the numbers, I would guess as principals, you weren't given the, the high profile nights off. You had to work those. So you got, yeah. so we both had Wednesday night off. And I think that that, that kind of opened the door for us to be able to, um, you know, 
be able to do things, go to a movie or something like that. But it, it, it was as friends first, because, you know, I was dating someone back from college and, you, you know, the typical yeah. thing. So I think that was it. Lucky to have Wednesday nights. Who was your understudy? I'm trying to think, because I, I was off, I don't even know what day, but you were never not in the show when I was in it. So who was your understudy? Oh, gosh. Did it change? We had several guys from the chorus who, um, Gary Giacomo, um, Joe, uh, Joe. Machiaverna. Good Good oh, that name. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, uh, Jeff Collins did a little bit. Um, who was the nice guy? Uh, <laughs> I want, to, I want to say tall and handsome, but they were all tall and handsome. Right. Steve was after Les left, right? Didn't Steve Marlin come in and do that? Yeah, Steve Marlin actually started out doing some of my understudy work. So you had seen many dancers come in the show and leave. Did you notice uh, Catherine right away, or was it just like... like yeah, immediately. Just... <laughs> yeah? <laughs> she was so brand new to the show, and... I ran into her, uh, I think she had been in the show about a week and she was still trying to adjust to this new wildlife, totally flipped schedule. And I, I usually like to get out of the, the show pretty fast after the curtain came down. And so a lot of people took their makeup off at work and so forth, but I just like to get out, shower at home. Yeah. Uh, saw this girl checking out, punching out at the time clock, and she was like, she was so ready to go to bed. <laughs> she, she, her hair was all uh, in a mess, and she was just trying to figure out how to, how to uh, adjust to this late, late, late night schedule. And she had that kind of bleary-eyed look, like, let me out of here. I got to go to sleep. Well, it was, I was still on East Coast time. So when the show, the second show got finished at 2 in the morning, it was really 5 in the morning for my body clock. And so it was all I could do to pull those lashes off, wash my face, and blow out the door. And I think that's when Mike must have... Well, I noticed seen. this charming girl as she was clocking out, and I... And then we had a, an encounter on stage where that that little... Uh, Can you tell that? Wait. You, that story that... you heard. Catherine will tell it. It's a great, great little story. <laughs> well, so um, I had been in the show for a, a while, a month maybe, and that's when you start getting comfortable, which is not a good thing to do. <laughs> um, and so I was backstage talking to the girl that was sitting next to me, and uh, we hear the Nob Hill music start well we're supposed to be on stage and if you remember those knot hill dresses they were pretty heavy yeah big train so we we um gathered up our dresses and ran across the stage and my place was on the stairs so um i ran up the stairs as the curtain was going up and mike was at the top of the stairs and he looks down and he says good one and I thought, oh man, you know, I've just gotten here, I've just moved out here, I've just gotten in the show. So um, afterwards, as we're, we're finishing the number and walking off, the same girl that was late with me uh, turns to me and says, oh, we're in big trouble. Michael Erdley's going to go in and tell the company manager. Well, I hadn't really learned the players. I hadn't learned the sense of humor. There was a lot. And I thought... Oh man, you know, I just moved from the East Coast to the West Coast in my Datsun B210 that barely made it out here. You know, I, I just, I can't lose, you know, lose this job. And so um, he was, I was a lovely pink pony in the finale and he was of course the ringmaster and we happened to be off stage right at the same time. And I went up to him with that pony on my head and, uh, and said, Mr. Erdley, I'm really sorry. Oh, I was... Sorry late for your number. Mike, I think that, I don't know what happened. There we are. Are we there? Did you lose her again? 
Okay, my it's my internet. I think. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we're we're still here. Oh man, I've never had this many weird things happen in one interview before. <laughs> so, well, I have I have my uh, cellular ready to go in case that happens again. But we're still good. We'll just have my daughter will be very busy with some edits on this oh, one. Oh, or yeah. So we got pony on the head. Pony on the head, and he seemed like he was so much older than me. So I called him Mr. Erdley. Ooh. Yeah, Mr. Erdley, I'm sorry I was late for your number. And I think he was just. And I'm the one who's kept her young all these yeah. years. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of when he asked me out, or we kind of went out because it was we both had Wednesdays off, and so. I think when it works, it's great. But you hear people that get together in the show and then they have awful breakups and you're still in the show together, yeah. which I've heard of people who have to partner together and like, okay, they're having a fight. I hope nobody gets hurt. But when it goes well, that's a much better story for everybody in the cast as well. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, our long years of marriage are a testament to Catherine's patience. <laughs> Catherine, were you a bluebell? You're a pony. I was a bluebell. No, you were a bluebell. You had a pony head on, but you weren't a pony. On. Yeah, it was the the finale, Pink Pony. Pink Pony. Uh, okay. If you this remember, was, yeah. That, that yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like blue sleeves, but pink, wasn't it? I wish it was um, that more intricate with the choreography. You know, you literally just kind of walked across the stage, and uh, and I think those were the things that people that were really artists would look down their nose at. And I'm thinking, well, you know, the hardest part is getting into the show. I I think. I think most people will say that the auditioning part is the difficult part. Once you get in and you learn the choreography and do the choreography, um, you, you know, that's, that's the easier part. Um, Did you have a favorite number? You know, I, I very fortunately within six months got to be a swing. And so I got to learn every bluebell spot and I learned the singer spots. Um, so that I could swing just about anything, which was so much fun. So I think it was all my favorite because every night I walked in and, and you know, it was going to be a surprise uh, what I was going to be doing that night. There, there was one time Lizzie Elliott, bless her heart, and sometimes I look back and if they say any regrets, um, I, I wasn't ready to, to go topless in the show. So I was a covered dancer. But Lizzie, you know, Mike was doing the staircase and Lizzie was the, the most incredible. And you've, you've said that at the beginning of the interview. I mean, just in awe of her, her beauty and her talent and her technique and her everything. And uh, she would come up over the stairs and he would walk her down. And it was Mike's birthday and Lizzie came up to me uh, about two weeks before his birthday. And she said, it would be so much fun if you did my spot on his birthday and you came up over the stairs and we didn't tell him and there you were. And I, there is no way I felt I could step into her place. There, the, it, it didn't even matter if it was, you know, a Sunday night with nobody in the audience. I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't bring myself to, to um, cause she, I was in awe of her too. So anyway, if, if there's a regret, I look back and think, oh, I wish I'd have had the... Um... That would have put a whole new twist <laughs> on our relationship. <laughs> there would need to be a, some film of that too, because that sounds like super <laughs> daring. Oh my gosh, so then how long were you dating before you got married? Well, I had always told my family that I would not consider getting into a serious relationship and considering marriage until I had passed the two-year mark. Catherine and I were married a year, just about a year to the date that we met. Yeah. Wow. So it went pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. So you guys are both doing the show. You Did you have the same day off the whole run? Yeah. Do you get to have this life? You get to be in the show together and then have a day off together. I feel like that's, that's amazing how that turned out without even having to ask for it. Well... Remember a day off for my husband, he was starting Tanglewood um, in the basement of our home. So uh, he, he worked all the time. And um, so a day off was just a, a day to a different investment, if you will, in, in what was to come in the future. So. Did you, when your contract ended, did you have to think about staying or like we're already, like that you were dating already. So there wasn't any 
thing like, no, I'm not going to sign a contract. You were pretty much in for it for as long as you're both going to be there. Well, because we had married, you know, in one year, that's only two contracts. So, right. Yeah. And you both were going to stay there, especially if they're offering you more money and <laughs> a good deal. This, you know, I'm sure you've heard this from a lot of performers. This is a totally unique situation. Um, first of all, the cast was a family. I mean, we were a family to each other. And add that to the fact that Reno is a great place to live. I mean, we've both seen lots of places around the, the world. Reno is just a great place. Mm. Um, you know, it, in the early days, it felt a little isolated because it was pre-internet. But now we are, you know, we're connected. And the lifestyle here is still pretty wonderful. So. It feels like very opposite. Like when you listen to people that move to Paris and they're doing the show and they're living the city life and all that. And then Vegas kind of has its extremity, but like Reno, I remember living in Vegas for two months. I auditioned for Hello Hollywood, Hello, and then got sent to Reno. And it was just, it was so opposite because everything was so spread out and like trying to figure out what am I going to do in this town? But then there were, there was a lot of opportunities, but the longer you went there, I'm sure that there's more and more things as the city gets bigger and there's more performers to do things with. Well, part of the, the charm of Reno is its small nature and combine the, the smallness of Reno and the intimacy and sort of hometown feel with the fact that you have an, a constant string of celebrities who land here and think that this is a nice place to visit or be uh, have a, a, a summer home up at the lake. Um, you know, we, we still have quite a bit of, of uh, spillover from what I call the real world into Reno, Nevada. Um, we did a, a session with Helen Mirren in the studio not too long ago. And, and it's because Reno and Tahoe are wonderful places for the rest of the world to, to imagine being. Oh, I love that. So I think the Tahoe had so many shows. They were the smaller shows, but I feel like on days off, I would go check out shows up in Tahoe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just feel like there was, there was so much happening. And so if you wanted to stay and not have to leave, because there was only one show in the whole city, there, there was options to even to stay in Reno and do other shows. So when did you start your recording studio? You were, you were still in the show while you were. Yeah. yeah. Built, uh, well, I purchased the house that we live in because it was a home upstairs and it had a huge basement, 1600 square feet, um, that I envisioned as my recording studio. And uh, it took about three years. Um, of planning, just being here and trying to figure out how I was going to configure that into a recording studio. At the same time, learn an awful lot that I didn't know about recording. Um, so the, the actual date of that recording studio's arrival is somewhere in the early 80s. Can't put a date on it because it was just slowly evolving. The minute we saw the show go away, um, we decided let's try and take this thing that was really my personal home uh, creative space and let's apply it to like real work. So I started addressing advertising agencies and other kind of commercial work. And we found out very quickly that running a business out of your home was not fun. So we moved into lease space across town where I worked my 50, 60, 70 hour weeks to try and build a business while Catherine was raising a family. First of all, she was supporting us by doing other shows. She did oh, yeah. Sugar Babies Up at the Lake. She did some Greg Thompson shows. Um, Taught at the university, taught at private studios, you know, the typical gypsy, all worked special events, you know, did everything I could um, 
so that we could get Tanglewood off the ground. Wow. Which, what Greg Thompson, I worked for Greg Thompson in Bermuda and then we went back and did the nugget. But I think, where did you work for him? I feel like there were so many things in the eighties that were happening. Um, I actually worked for him in the nine, was it the nineties after sugar babies? Um, he opened a show at Harris. Okay. So there's still, that's interesting as Reno is closing down, but there was still, still entertainment. I wonder how much that affected it when, when, uh, MGM closes like, or valleys of how much people are the beginning of the end. What was that like? Cause you were in there willing to stay and you're starting this other business, but do you remember how you guys found out? Was there like hints of it or was it just a shock? Like here it is when they said the show's closing. Well, we, we certainly got hints of it. Uh, I remember Bill DeAngelis coming and gathering us all together and saying, we're going to have to make some changes here. We're going to, um, the budget for this show is is too much. We're going to have to put everybody on. I think it was one show a night. I think they did one show a night, except for the weekends, and down to six nights a week. So there was a dark night. So everybody had a dark night. Um, oh, really? I forget what that was. Maybe a Monday or something. Um, yeah. So. And so was there cut cut in pay too? Then there wasn't a cut in pay, just a cut in personnel, the numbers. So when, you know, somebody would leave the show, they wouldn't replace them. You went from 16 dancers down to 14 or 12 dancers. Um, so I seem to remember a cut in pay. Yeah, I don't remember. yeah. just no raises. <laughs> yeah, certainly no raises. Anyhow, that was the first inklings of the fact that that the show probably did have a uh, reasonable lifespan. But 11 years is pretty doggone good for a show. Yeah. And I heard there was talk of another one because uh, Pete Menifee was supposed to be working on costumes for something that was going to come in after and then didn't happen. Uh, was there any talk of anything else that was going to go in there or just we're well, done with it? They didn't tell me about it. <laughs> oh. So you're already kind of like, we're already on the way to this thing. So let's just put all our energy into the recording studio and... Well, there was a, a little interim time there where we realized that the show was actually closing and we looked at each other and we said, we have two options. We can be gypsies and go up back on the road and try and stay together as a showbiz couple um, and live that vagabond life. Or we can try and take what we've, we've built here as a little foothold. It certainly wasn't a business yet. Um, and just try to build it into to a business. And uh, probably a year after the show had closed, um, I remember one of the guys from backstage happened to be delivering something at my studio. And uh, he looked at me, he says, and this is by the time we had moved into leased space. And uh, he says, Mike, I can't believe you're making a living at this. And I said, well, you know, I'm making a profit, but I'm not making a living yet. <laughs> yeah, and that that was really, I think for both of us, uh, neither one of us had a, a background in business. And so uh, learning how to run a business was eh, a little, little tough for both of us. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember what that last show was like or that week leading into it was was morale down or were people trying to keep it cheery to finish strong? What was that like? I felt like people were trying to stay cheery and keep it strong and and um, soak up every minute of the friendship uh. and the space. I remember I remember walking across that big stage. Um, remember after the show, when the curtain would come up, the showroom would be empty, the plane was pushed back and it was just, you know, they might've been, the stage crew was doing their maintenance, but it took a long time to walk from the dressing room to the, to the door. Cause the stage was so big. And I remember walking across that, just thinking, I need to soak this in, you know, this is, this oh, is a pretty incredible part for a, a tall, gawky girl out of upstate New York, out of her mom's dance studio, wow, you know, to, to have this experience in my life. And, and so I think, I think the feeling was more gratitude um, 
and gratefulness for the experience that we all had in that space as opposed to, you know, kicking rocks and being mad. I, oh my God. And the friendships we were yeah. able to, to cultivate, um, you know, we still have very, very good friends all the way around the world. And, you know, we don't see each other as often as we used to, but um, there's not a, a continent uh, on the globe that doesn't have somebody that we know from Hello Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> it makes for good travel too. Like there's, we're all over. Um, when you finish it, do you guys remember the, the last show? Like the, when that curtain came down? I've, I've got this great picture it actually showed up on the front page of the uh, the local paper, the Reno Gazette Journal. Um, it was goodbye Hollywood, goodbye, I think it said, um, oh. headline. But it was a picture of Kate Vanderleet and I giving each other a great big hug. We're in full costume. And it was right yeah. after that final curtain came down. And uh, I think that's a treasure for me to yeah. think back of that one picture of Kate and I with our arms around each other, kind of just saying, this is a piece of history that will not go away. Was the audience full of past cast members or like Reno people, like who, people, you have to, like I know Jubilee, it was so full of, of because that show ran for so long, there's so many performers in the audience, um, but also Reno has a heart for that show too. So just was wondering like who, who makes that effort to get to that last show? Well, you know, Reno, uh, considered Hello Hollywood the local Disneyland. Uh, it was where you brought your out-of-town visitors and if you were whining and dining somebody you took them to the show and so we had we still to this day have local friends who cherish their experience of repeat visits to go see Hello Hollywood. So I think I think um, the showroom was filled with mostly the community. Really? And, and I really feel like as much as that was Don Arden's Hello Hollywood, hello, it really was Reno's Hello Hollywood, hello. Oh, because they, they all invested. I mean, think about when the MGM was being built and how many small businesses all of a sudden had to grow overnight so that they could support um, all of the infrastructures that it took to build the MGM. Um, and, and we hear those stories often. So I really think that it wasn't a show that came into a building. It was, it was a building and a show that grew up and helped, helped the community. And the community was all involved. They all had their fingerprints on it. So I felt like that last show was was Reno saying, was saying this is our show. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I don't know if we said this in the pre-recorded part, but on the on the reunion two years ago for Hello Hollywood Hello, when Jillian read that um, Hello Hollywood Hello, was it by the mayor mm -hmm. that deemed that day hello? And I, I cried because I also there's facts and like how many people saw that show over 11 years span, <laughs> how much it's affected, like that there's so many dance studios that are now owned or you know, run by past dancers there. And just that you, a lot of people stayed and invested in the community where I feel like you can kind of that vagabond life and just kind of take in the resources and then leave and go to the next place. Like, I feel like the people that stayed there definitely were part of the community and it helped and it wasn't just a separate thing. You guys were really part of that community. So Sherry, I don't know if you have your hands on this, but there's a document floating around somewhere that was put together by Larry Allender. I don't know if you remember Larry, but he was one of the backstage crew. And he took it upon himself to document all the facts and figures of Hello Hollywood, the size of the stage, how much electricity it took to run the equipment. I mean, he had all these facts and figures. And I know that that was one of the, the pieces of information he dug up of how many people actually sat through that show over the years lots and lots yeah the figure was it was overwhelming when i saw like how many people have come through how many shows that it was total and and Catherine, you had some said something that really resonated with me because we do a show for my studio every year and i say the same thing and i can't not say it because people are doing a lot of numbers they kind of will run on and like like and forget what they're doing thinking what's next i go please take the time 
to be present when you're on there because you may never dance with this friend on stage again. Or, you know, you know, we're a dance studio. We're not a professional show. And some people, they do that one show only. And so sometimes you go, oh, I don't remember it. I got changed. I ran on. But like I say that so many times and how you said that just gave me tingles because it's like walk across that stage and don't don't be thinking about the next thing. Be here now because you'll probably still feel that in your body, what that felt like. It's not just the fuzzy thing as being older. Like, wait, how did, like, I wanted to know what are, when we went to the reunion, I wanted to see the stage door. Like that was important to me to then remember like what it was like walking back there and what the dress rooms felt like. And um, I just think some people can just go on to the next thing and not really um, be present in their endings. You know, like sometimes we're on to the next thing and we don't end well. We're like, bye, see you guys later. Instead of like hugging and like, this was really special and I'm glad I did it with you. I just, I feel like you guys embrace it in such a great way because those things are gone, but you still, if you lived it fully, it's different than when it's just a blur. So here we had, we got to see your recording studio at the reunion. And I love that whole thing with the costumes with Karen Burns and Pete Menifee and seeing what you guys are doing there right in Reno, because Plus I would never heart, imagine this. Karen <laughs> has become the curator of that collection. Mm -hmm. And so that's all Karen. Yeah. Uh, we just opened the doors and let her bring it in yeah. and put she some and lights Pete. on things. She and Pete did that. Well, and I love that it was all those things together because I'm trying to get Karen. We keep trying to hook this up, but she's preserving that and to hear Pete's story. And then, but to see that you guys are have this business in Reno, I think it just made me happy to know that people didn't just up and leave. And now it's just an empty giant not empty but you know there's something that still lives on because you guys are doing well and so can you tell a little bit like you said you started out for you for for what you wanted with music but it's turned into something else like you've got you're still busy because I when we checked in like with COVID and like you guys have been able to keep your business going and you're you're having really interesting people coming in it sounds like you've got quite a variety of who you're catering to well uh I don't know whether I said this earlier, but uh, when we first started out, uh, I was not expecting the world of the arts to be supporting a, a recording facility in Northern Nevada. Um, so I immediately focused all the work on the advertising industry. Uh, Reno, because of the, the gaming activity and all the hotels, uh, had a pretty substantial advertising community. And uh, so I just refocused myself on, on advertising, uh, taught myself as much as I could about the nuts and bolts of that world, and then tried to bring my skill set and apply it to that. Um, so for the first, oh, five or six years, more than that, maybe 10 years, um, commercial recording was really my focus. And uh, I think it's kind of a sign of the times that, that Reno has grown a lot and that we're now seeing more than 50% of our work focused back on the arts. We're doing a lot of work in music and um, we, we deal with actors uh, doing dialogue replacement for films and things like that. So. Uh, the the theater background has certainly served us well, um, and it's been gratifying to see Reno make this shift from being totally gaming and uh, entertainment uh, nightlife focused to having a, a much broader appeal to the average traveler and and the people who live here. Hmm. Well, would, uh, do you get people who? To not have to go to LA, but to get to go to Reno and do their work instead of, I mean, that seems like a really nice choice if you are an artist that doesn't have to do LA. <laughs> Absolutely. We're seeing more and more of that. Um, yeah. When we had Helen Mirren in just recently uh, for her first session, she's been back several times now, but uh, her first session, she walked into the voiceover room and she said, do you do looping as well? And I, when I said yes, she said, great, I'll never have to leave Tahoe. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because yeah. it was a wonderful thing to just like have that environment to do your work, but not have to go in, especially with COVID too. That feels like that's 
also feels bigger and more a better way to do that and not just have to go into the You're finding that a lot of people from San Francisco, New York, LA are saying maybe it's not a good idea to be part of the big city so much anymore. We're looking for ways to to do work elsewhere. And so Helen Mirren's a big deal, but like even doing the show, I'm thinking like, I remember Sammy Davis Jr., Donald Connor, but I heard other stories. Like there was always celebrities. So for you, this isn't like, oh my gosh, Helen Mirren's in my, I mean, you can still have a little fan thing, but like I feel like over the span of that, you probably had, there's a lot of celebrities that came through there. Yeah, for us be, to be able to have a personal relationship with Jim Neighbors and Carol Channing, um, people like that, that was, that was pretty heady stuff. Now they were still stars, but we had to have, you know, in our work, we would have conversations with them. And so it taught us a lot uh, about celebrities being real people too. Oh, I love that. Um, we are at the, uh, towards the end. And I, if I ask this question, it could probably be a seven hour one, but huh. just one backstage story that stands out after all these years, like, cause some of that life at backstage was just like, made that so much more enjoyable to go to work. It's like, just get on stage. I can hardly wait to go backstage and finish that conversation or that birthday party or whatever we were doing before we were interrupted to go on stage and do a kick line, like to get backstage <laughs> sometimes or there should have been some video happening. I, I think meeting my husband and then, um, you know, our three sons who really, kind of were their mom and dad. At the reunion, the youngest and the middle one uh, did some bartending and uh, the show was running and all of a sudden they went, whoa, I had no idea. And meeting all of you um, from all over the world that people came in, I, I think so connecting, you know, meeting my husband and having our family and then seeing our children who really didn't care, all of a sudden see mom and dad in a different, I mean, they still don't think we're cool or anything, but, <laughs> <laughs> but all of a sudden they, they understood the discipline that their mom and dad had invested in their career. And, uh, and I think they were kind of proud of that. So oh, um, I think that's, that that's amazing. Yeah. So I, I know like there's probably, I think there were some mother daughters and that came and like in Paris that was, that we had a dance class and there's a few daughters that were like, they went, my mom did that. Like, I think that they had this different level because when you're a teenager, nothing is cool, but to be a little bit older and to know like, wait, my parents weren't just parents, <laughs> but this life is pretty, is very different than like my son, when he was dating his wife that was asked, like, they would do a back and forth text of tell me an, a fact about you. And he was running out of ideas. He goes, give me something else. What can I say about me? I go, tell her that you were raised by a showgirl and a sailor. He goes, Oh, that's a good one. So <laughs> it was like <laughs> most of his friends don't say, you know, this was my parents' job. It's, you know, how do you explain that? You don't tell them a lot of it till they're older, but I love that they got to see, see that and to see that some of the video and, Oh my gosh, that's my parents. And now, and that you met there makes that story even more fun. Yeah. So Michael, you've had time to ponder. Yeah, Do you I, have a bad when when people ask me of uh, my memories of the show, you know, it's impossible to uh, to explain to people what we had seven nights a week for eleven years. Um, so when civilians ask me, especially, I say, <laughs> you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I I just pull out my phone and show them this. Oh my gosh. We have to post that when I show, when I post the, the um, podcast, that's amazing. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> uh, you know, how many other couples get that? Uh, so I think we, we feel kind of fortunate that not only did we find each other through this experience, but we had that experience together and uh, <laughs> pretty neat. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for doing this. You guys are wonderful. And we had all kinds of my end with the Comcast dropped out of sight and getting back <laughs> on and forth, birds and dogs and phones and all that stuff. But this is real life in COVID. And um, if we could have gone and done it in your recording studio, we would have had a very 
clear, clean interview, but this is, this is where we are. So I appreciate you guys taking the time to do this and would love to just keep following you on Facebook and seeing you know, how your business keeps going. But I just feel like I'm adding more and more to my friend circle of people that I worked with that I didn't know. You can get the word out for us that there's this yes. great studio in Reno, Nevada, that's going to be for sale soon. Oh, are you serious? We want to retire. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we'll put that in the show notes and when we post it, we'll let people know that. Yeah. Cause there's a time like, okay, we worked hard. Now let's, let's go do those things. We couldn't do when we were working every single night. Right. And, okay. Well, yeah, we will let people know about that. Best to you. And, and it's a delight to talk to you. Okay. Take care you guys. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. <laughs>